Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fence side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side here with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Brian Cat NFL. Paul is fanatic underscore pick on Twitter. The Dolphins fall to 3-11 and on the season, dropping their second game in as many weeks at MetLife Stadium. This time, it's not to the New York Jets, it's to the New York Giants. So we'd switch conferences here for that loss. The Giants take this one 36-20. In a game that was really close halfway through the third quarter, and then the Giants start to pull away. But we're going to table that just for a second because what every Dolphins fan is thinking about this time of year is NFL draft talk. And taking a look at that, the Dolphins are actually in a coin flip with the Redskins for the number three overall pick as we sit here today. But as far as the, as the bigger picture is concerned, to cut through all the different scenarios, as, when you look at where the Dolphins are sitting here, Paul, they are – if the Dolphins lose next week to the Cincinnati Bengals, who have the number one pick, the Dolphins are going to be picking in the top three. Why? Two reasons. Number one is because the Dolphins play at New England in Week 17 – and number two, the Giants and Redskins, who pick second and third, are going to be squaring off in Week 16, and one of them has to go to four and 11, which at, at which point is going to leapfrog the Dolphins. So, Paul, you've been somebody who's who said all year you want the Dolphins to win. You can't cheer against the Dolphins during a game next week against Cincinnati at at, uh, at Hard Rock Stadium. Do you think that might change for you? I'm kind of in the camp now as much as I can't root for the Dolphins to lose per se. I mean, one of the big things I've said all year is I'm happy win or lose because of what we're looking at with this team. I want Miami to remain competitive in the remaining games, but if they lose, I'm okay with that. I mean, the fact that they could potentially slide as as high up as number one is absolutely something that I'm enamored with. You know, even before the season when he was a projected six-round pick, I have been absolutely enamored with Joe Burrow. When everyone was enamored with Tua Tagovailoa, I was still enamored with Joe Burrow, and that was before this insane, crazy, Heisman-winning, record-setting, destroy-everyone-on-the-face-of-the-planet season we've seen out of Burrow thus far. And there's a yeah. couple scenarios right now. One thing I want to bring up, too, is the remote possibility this weekend, if Miami were to lose or even win, if the Giants and Redskins ends in a tie, which sounds a little ridiculous to a lot of folks, but if you look out there, it wouldn't be the first tie of the season uh, on record. Miami would leapfrog both of them, win or lose, to 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 go to number two. But yeah, it's, if they I mean, lose to the Bengals, that tie is very unlikely. But yeah, that that would be a dream scenario for the Dolphins. So. Paul, Joe Burrow won the Heisman, very well-deserved, complete blowout this past weekend. 
So, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, I think it's good both ways. But in that scenario, I mean, if the Bengals win and then in week 17, the Dolphins are going to lose to the Patriots in New England uh, and the Bengals play at home in week 17 against the Cleveland Browns, who lost to the Arizona Cardinals today by two touchdowns. So if the Dolphins and the Bengals finish with the same record, because of the strength of schedule, the Dolphins are going to have a higher draft pick. And that pick may be, if it's not number one, it's going to be number two, and they're going to be able to trade up uh, to the Giants or the Redskins if they have the number one pick because they drafted a quarterback in the first round last year. I mean, I think it's so, absolutely worth the loss here. So there's there's two points there. If the Giants or the Redskins are at number one, Miami may not have to trade out. I mean, keep an ear to the ground, keep your options open with doing so just in case somebody tries to leapfrog Miami. But if Chase Young comes out, the Giants are not moving out of number one. If Chase Young comes yeah. out, the Redskins probably are not moving out of number one. And, and exactly the point I was I was going to make there is the fact, like you said, if Miami does somehow slide up to number one, which is still a very realistic possibility, the, the Cleveland Browns are absolutely a dumpster fire if Miami loses this week. You don't have to give up any resources to move up. Now, the good thing here is Miami, if they stay in the top four, and this is something I sent to you this week, it based on the standard draft value chart, which not everyone goes by, most people go by, you name it, it would take about 1,200 points for Miami to move from number four to number one overall. Most general managers and front office execs are probably going to view Miami as a sub-500 team next year. Not all, not all, based on the resources that they have at their disposal this offseason. But it is a realistic possibility. I believe it's from top, if you're a top 13 pick, it's worth 1,200-plus points. So if Miami were to offer their number four overall and their their number one pick from next year, which they still will have a first-round pick, to move from number four to number one based on the team that's at number one and what they're looking at, they may, that may be the sweetest deal any team can get on the table as far as somebody moving up and not moving down too far and still being able to get an Andrew Thomas, a Jeffrey Akuda or one of those type of players, or two, it's Tagovailoa, if that's who they're enamored with, to sit on the bench for a year or two while he heals up, gets better, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so mean, but there it, are some realistic possibilities here. I, 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 I don't see that as realistic. And, and the reason I, I don't is because, look, if Joe Burrow is the consensus number one pick, and he and, and the Bengals are sitting there at number one, I don't see them – going from number one down to number four to take a left tackle or a cornerback and saying, you know what, we hope a quarterback's going to be there next year. I mean, a quarterback's there this year. So I, I understand there with the, with, the, with the trade value chart, and usually that's very applicable. But, I mean, you, you look back at a couple of years ago when Andrew Luck was the number one prospect in the entire draft. I mean, it, they were turning down four first-round picks to just move down a couple mm-hmm. of spots for him. So it's, it's different when there's a quarterback at number one as opposed to, as opposed to somebody else, especially – and also, too, if, if the Bengals are unwilling to pull the trigger there on Joe, Joe Burrow at number one, who lives just 
you know, born and raised just three hours from Cincinnati. It's going to take some of the shine off Joe Burrow for me. It might. I mean, it, it all depends on who, for one, it depends on the Bengals being number one overall. Let's face it. We've already laid out some scenarios where they may not be. And it may not be Miami at four at that point. Miami may be at, you know, three or two and making sure they move up to get their, their, their guy. Um, it may be a scenario where, despite the injury, the Bengals are absolutely enamored with, with Tua or they're absolutely enamored with somebody else. Uh, there, there are a lot of possibilities. Or say Cincinnati goes out and takes Chase Young over, number one overall if they're there, and Miami needs to come up to a two. I mean, it, it, it's, there are just numerous scenarios here six months ahead of the draft or five, four months, five, four months, one of those ahead of the draft. Sorry, I don't have my calendar right in front of me. Um, and, and realistically, there are possibilities, so long as Miami stays in the top four, that they can walk away from this draft with Joe Burrow. And if they have to give up an extra number one to do so, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, I would too. I, I, I just don't see a way it's going to happen because the Bengals have to lose two games in order for them to drop out of the number one spot now. And then then they have to say, I mean, they, they have to drop out of that spot. And then the the better situation is that the Giants or the Redskins pick there. But th- that would be the only way that that happens is, as far as I'm concerned, because I, I, I've just never seen in 20 plus years of, of watching the draft, somebody look a, a number one overall quarterback in the eye after this type of season, winning the Heisman consensus, number one pick and saying, nah, we're going to go down and we're going to take another first round pick. Come on, you saw draft I don't know, day. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. I mean, uh, but as far as the way I look at it here is, if the Dolphins have a top three pick, then I, I look at I look at three different players. I, th- I think that's the spot they have to be in because Joe Burrow's likely going to go number one if if the Bengals pick first. And then you've got to think Chase Young is number two. I, I don't care what he, what he's saying about how it's part of the plan that he's going to come back to Ohio State. He's saying this before the before the bowl games, before the Final Four. He's coming out in the draft. You can you can take it to the bank. And then the third pick, if Tua is that, if Tua is um, health wise, if, if he's still able to to play and he checks out well going forward here and he's still a projected top five pick in the draft I, I think those are your top three guys I mean and then you've got some like left tackle Andrew Thomas cornerback Jeff Okuda defensive lineman uh, Derek Brown and you've got some good players there but I, I think you've got to come away with one of those top three players and be within striking distance at least to be able to trade up for whoever you want so Paul so finally one, one though, thing I want to I, I do want to touch on there before we move on is for me, and I know I'm not the only person on the planet with this, Tua Tagovailoa is absolutely 100% a phenomenal football player. I'm going to say that right out of the gate. He is a phenomenal quarterback. But for Miami to invest, and I'm going to go so far as to say a top 10 pick in a guy that's already had two ankles stitched back together. Now he has this gruesome hip injury. And, and to put all my chips on him as that guy of the future 
at quarterback when he can't make it through a college season with a pretty damn good offensive line without, you know, injury after injury. That is a very tough sell for me in my, my own head, not just with a top five, but even with a top 10 pick to invest those type of resources in. That's my guy. Yeah, I, I can certainly respect that. Um, me, the way I look at the situation is that if Tua checks out closer to the draft, and he may not, and, and we might be laughing about this in a couple months. Heck, he might go back to school. I don't think he will, but he might. Um, then, then that's a different situation. My feeling is that if you're sitting there at number three and he checks out, you make him that number three overall pick. And, and the reason I say that is because – a year from today, or a year from the, the 2020 NFL draft when it's the 2021 draft, you may know about the health situation of, of Tua at that point, and then you can pull the trigger in a worst-case scenario on another quarterback where it's supposed to be very, very deep in that class. So, Paul, believe it or not, we've got an entire offseason to talk about the NFL draft, and there was a gameplay today. It, it was a pretty, <laughs> it was a pretty um, unmemorable game. But uh, th- this was the first time. It was, it was a, actually a memorable one for me because this was the first time in twenty plus years that it was halftime. And at the time, I, I did not know what was going on in the game. I've since rewatched the game two or three times. But at the time, I was coming back from a snowstorm in Kansas City. I did not want to be distracted and have the game on during an ice storm, so I, I chose not to do that. Um, but the Dolphins lose 36-20, to 20, and it's really telling when I came back because the first, first time I saw the score, it was early in the third quarter. Dolphins were up 10-7, to 7, and then the Giants score on the very next play, a touchdown pass there to Sterling Shepard to make it 14-10. to 10. The Dolphins kick a field goal to make it 14-13 to 13 on the next drive, force a three and out, and to me, the turning point was Trevor Davis doesn't catch a punt. It rolls back to the five-yard line. There's a hold on that play, bringing it back to the two, false start, bringing it back to the one. Then a safety um, uh, on the very next play. Patrick Laird's caught in the end zone. The ball's kicked back to the Giants. They return it to the Dolphins' um, 40-yard line. And they score uh, – a couple of plays later after a 15 and a 25 yard pass again to Sterling Shepard, who had a field day against the Dolphins secondary. It's then 23, 13 giants. Saquon Barkley runs down and grinds out the next couple of drives to make this at one point, a 36 to 13 game. The game game ends up being 36 to 20. So, you know, Eli Manning swan song in this game, but I, 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 part of me thinks that, you know, halfway through the third quarter, this was a competitive game with a non-competitive roster. The other part of me thinks they got absolutely killed here in the last 20 minutes of the game. Not only that, I mean, in all honesty, the score was a lot different than what I saw on the field. And there were two particular players in this game that I felt were absolutely slaughtering the Dolphins' chances, one on each side of the ball. And I'm not saying there was spectacular play across the board, but I Clive Walford had me pining for the days of Nick O'Leary in this game. And you look at the other side of the ball, and, and Nate Brooks, who was just signed this week, absolutely atrocious out there. 
those two really made it look like a game that the Giants should have pulled away a lot sooner in. Uh, I mean, Clive Wolford completely blew a block uh, on that safety. Uh, he had a couple of key drops and really just absolute mess on offense, both blocking and receiving. And then you look at Nate Brooks. Yeah, he ended up with four tackles. But again, he was just absolutely atrocious out in the secondary today. So those two players, if you go back and, and watch this game, absolutely slaughtered some chances for the Dolphins in this one. Yeah, I mean, Clive Wolford and Nate Brooks and Lyndon Stevens and Shaq Calhoun, these are players that just shouldn't be playing. I mean, they're not good enough to be on a 53-man roster. I mean, this was Nate Brooks' first NFL game, and he started. He was taken off the Patriots practice squad just a few days ago. They signed Lyndon Stevens, who played, I don't see the snap count, but if I had to guess, 20 to 25 snaps, and you're going up against Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton and trying to tackle Saquon Barkley out of the backfield, it just doesn't work. I mean, you ask Omar Kelly, and he's going to tell you it's a coaching problem, but uh, we're not going to say that here on this show. So <laughs> at quarterback, Paul, let's let's start with the position-by-position position grades. You know, I looked, again, looked at the stat sheet when I, when I came back after halftime. Ryan Fitzpatrick, two, over 200 yards in the first half. And a touchdown. I mean, I, I think he does a very good job still of of finding time in the pocket and tucking the ball down. He comes away with 30-plus rushing yards again today. Um, finding the one-on-one coverage and, and set back and fire. But, you know, he, he is going to have a share of boneheaded uh, plays, too. I mean, but overall, I, I don't think he played very poorly in this one. He played very well in the first half. Second half, I thought the defense got overwhelmed, the offensive line got overwhelmed, and there was a lot of drops by the wide receivers and running backs here in the third quarter when things started to come apart a lot. So I really don't blame Ryan Fitzpatrick for this loss, but you know, still, I, I look at the scoreboard at the end of the game, it's 37-13. to 13. The offense isn't putting up a lot in the second half, so I, I'm going to go ahead with a C-plus for Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback. We're close to the same range here. For me, it's a B minus. Uh, there were there were a few, a few drops in the first half that were absolutely critical. Uh, Patrick Laird had one that would have made it at at the very worst third and short, put the Dolphins in third and long. Clive Walford had a couple, uh, as well as a few of the other wide receivers. There was a third down play where Fitzpatrick absolutely could have run the two yards for the first down. Instead, he throws the ball. We end up with a drop. I believe Miami turned it over on downs on that series as well. So, again, he wasn't really the problem. Absolutely, Just on a funny note, it absolutely slays me watching Ryan Fitzpatrick with the ball. It doesn't matter if he's at the line of scrimmage, beyond the line of scrimmage. The man will pull up and pump fake and, and, and somehow get defenses to bite on it, even when he's five yards past the line of scrimmage, which is absolutely hilarious to me anyway. But, again, he wasn't really the problem in this game, even if he wasn't completely the solution either. At running back, 21 carries for 89 yards from uh, Patrick Laird and Miles Gaskin. Laird had a couple of drops, too. Um, He also got wrapped up in the backfield, which I really don't blame him for. I I do blame Clive Wolford for that. So, uh, you know, 4.24 yards a carry. Part of me thinks that, you know, you can find anybody at running back to to just insert in there if you if if you've got the holes to run through. 
But also, uh, a lot of these runs it came when the game was pretty far out of hand, too. And for that reason, I'm, I'm going to give the, these young running backs a C-plus, even though they did have a healthy yards per carry. I'm with you on the C-plus. Again, this is a position Miami's got to address this offseason, most likely through the draft with, with a day-two pick, uh, late day-two possibly. Um, you know, Patrick Laird does look like the answer at third down. Miles Gaskin looks serviceable behind him, but really the cupboards are absolutely bare. And the fact that this looked like such a great day from the running back position tells you just how bad it was with Kalen Balazs in there. So Miami's got to address it, whether that's with, you know, Edwards Hilaire or Chuba Hubbard or, or one of those types in, that are that should be there at the top of the third round as it stands today. Miami definitely needs to address the position. I mean, yeah, they got yeah. a little bit of receiving yards, but at best, these guys are third down running backs playing playing as starters. Cam Akers uh, also declared for the draft out of Florida State. I, I can tell you right now, there's seven or eight running backs in the draft that late second, early third round, like you said, I, I could I could insert a player in right in there, and, and they're going to be a tremendous upgrade here at running back. I, I'm hoping the Dolphins don't spend a first rounder uh, on one of them because I think the value is going to be there late in the second, early third round. I'm going to throw it back to you for wide receiver and tight end. Albert Wilson may have shown me enough that over the coming weeks I want to see a little bit more, but that I may be okay with Miami retaining him for next year. He started to show a little bit of that burst we've been missing from him since he went down with that injury last season. So I've de- I'm definitely going to keep a close eye on him. Devontae Parker continued to prove why he got that big co- big contract extension that was absolutely affordable as well this week. And then the the Clive Wolford I've already talked about. Isaiah Ford had a few opportunities today, did okay. Obviously didn't capitalize like he did last week, but he wasn't asked to uh, – be as in as big of a role this week. The one I'm actually a little disappointed in, even though he put up decent numbers, Mike Kosicki had four carries for 47 yards. I am simply tired of watching him catch the ball and come back five yards with it. You know, the second somebody gets a hold of him, kind of backing up and just, okay, okay, you got me, you got me, you got me. I'm sorry, you are this gigantic athlete at the position. And meanwhile, I believe it was after one of his receptions where he kind of just trotted backwards five yards once the guy touched him, that they go to a Dallas Goddard highlight uh, where he's making an absolutely phenomenal one-handed catch, popping up and managing to to run out of bounds to stop the clock. And it absolutely just wounded me somewhere deep in my soul to see that happening. I just don't think the receivers did anybody any favors today. We've already talked about the drops. So... Overall, I'm going to go with a I'm going to go with a C here, which is dragged down a little bit by Clive Walford, despite decent play from Parker and Wilson. Yeah, wow. I mean, harsh words from Mike Kosicki there. I mean, I yeah. he, four catches for 47 yards. I I didn't have a problem with what he did. In fact, I I liked how those four catches looked, and I thought he last week with one catch for six yards. I I thought it should have been six for 90 and a touchdown with how open he was all game. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know that on, on one catch, he kind of doubled back a little bit and at least he's, he's not trying to, to leapfrog over people. So he's got that going for him now. Um, but as far as the receivers go, yeah, Devonte Parker right now, if the season ended, 
He has 59 catches, 954 yards, eight touchdowns. He was also rewarded with a four-year, $40 million contract extension. I thought it was really good this past offseason, or, or excuse me, this uh, this past week. I thought that was a very good deal, $21.5 million guaranteed. And he showed why. I mean, he, he again, like like you've said, he, he, he mosses people from week to week. He did the same thing here. But, you know, I thought DeAndre Baker, the rookie cornerback, did a pretty good job on him throughout most of the game too and he had a couple of catchable balls that he didn't come away with and he also dropped one that resulted in a third and 10 instead of a first down so you've got that Albert Wilson I thought this was his best game of the year but I'm also not keeping him for if the Dolphins can cut him and save nine and a half million next year if Albert Wilson wants to come back and take a significant pay cut then that's a different story uh, Alan Hearns was nowhere to be found. Isaiah Ford, three catches for 21 yards, so at least he stayed uh, in the lineup and, and got some reps there. Um, yeah, Clive Wal- Walford uh, should not be on the roster, and it's a smack in the face to Durham Smythe that Clive Walford is getting a more meaningful role, role at this spot, uh, at, at, at this spot in the season. So overall, I'm going to go with a C-plus for the wide receivers and the tight ends. Along the offensive line, I mean, it's just it's just a train wreck. I, I keep rewatching the game, hoping that I'm going to see something good. And when I do, there's very, very little to see. I mean, at the offensive tackle spots, you know, Jesse Davis and Julian Davenport, I thought for a game and a half, they, they played really well uh, against the Giants in the first half of this game, uh, as well as last week against the Jets. And then in the second half, they get absolutely steamrolled on both sides of the ball. The pocket's collapsing at all times. They have as much to do with ruining the third quarter as anybody on the roster. Uh, the, the interior wasn't much better. I mean, Dan Kilgore got killed for the second game in a row. At offensive guard, Michael Dieter and Chad Calhoun may have been the two best players out there today, which isn't even saying much. One player I want to see over the next two games that actually got in in the third and fourth quarter is uh, Evan Brown, the center and guard. I thought he actually looked the part. He's bounced around on a couple of practice squads. He was actually with the Giants practice squad here last year. But overall, the offensive line, when it's bad, it drags the Dolphins down to a level where they can't even compete. So I'm going to give them a F. We're going to differ a little here. I mean, I'm not saying by any stretch that the offensive line played phenomenal today. It's, you know, they gave up two sacks in this game. Could have easily been a few more. I thought they actually opened up bigger holes in the running game than the running backs took advantage of here. There were a few times where you could, you could see the hold from, from every angle and the running backs kind of just ran into the back of an offensive lineman instead of making that one cut that would have really stretched the play. But again, this is a unit we all know needs to be upgraded heavily this off season, hopefully a lot through free agency given the fact that there should be some affordable and and good pieces out there that are young that we've already touched on numerous times throughout this season. But I can go with a very low C- minus here just because I didn't think that they were necessarily the reason. Fitzpatrick had some time. He was hitting receivers that were dropping balls, and really the, the running backs weren't exactly showing the best of vision at times. Yeah, well, I'll definitely have to rewatch uh, the, the the runs from the Dolphins running backs because uh, I'm I'm I was looking more in pass protection. So, yeah, we we certainly differ a lot there. But 
we do agree that the offensive line needs to be completely revamped here in the offseason. On the defensive side of the ball, I mean, again, we can rewrite the same script every every week. No pressure on the quarterback, not enough talent in the secondary. Uh, one bright spot, though, over a span of uh, six minutes and six seconds, the Dolphins had three interceptions of Eli Manning. Uh, one was by Vince Beagle, one by Jerome Baker, another one by Nick Needham for his second of the year. But the main story is that Saquon Barkley, we talked about in our pregame how he tries to bounce it to the outside a lot. That actually benefited him a lot, took advantage of the Dolphins' soft edges. Raekwon McMillan, I thought, struggled a lot getting to the corners. Um, as far as the front seven, I, I thought Christian Wilkins and Davin Gotchuk did not have one of their better games, but still two very good players. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out what Avery Moss does and why he's on the field for 40 to 45 plays. But he does set the edge a lot better than Taco Charlton. And this is a typical game with Taco where if he's not getting to the quarterback for a sack and a forced fumble, then he's getting completely wiped out in the run game. Um, Charles Harris, a surprise inactive, and I can't put my finger on whether or not Harris, the team is looking at him and thinking, we know everything we need to know about him. You know, he is what he is. He's had a lot of snaps, and we're going to get – you know, Trent Harris and, and Andrew Van Ginkle and some other guys, some opportunities here, um, especially because Harris can't play special teams. But I, I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Um, but as far as the front seven is concerned, given the lack of pressure, given that the, the Giants running backs on the day came away with 140 yards and three touchdowns and 25 carries, can't give them any higher than a D plus. I'm going to go with a C here, uh, considering the fact that the front seven did bring in two interceptions in this game, uh, had had a sack, had another sack that was wiped out by a penalty. And, and really, I liked what I saw to Jerome Baker in this game. The weird thing to me, even though he did turn up an interception, was Miami's best pass rusher right now, which isn't saying he's a phenomenal pass rusher, but still Vince Beagle is Miami's best pass, pass rusher. I understand dropping him in coverage periodically, but it seemed like at least every other play, Vince Beagle was dropping in coverage in this game, which I thought was a little bit of an oddity to me, given the fact that Miami already struggles with pass rush with Beagle rushing, rushing the passer. And then they're going to start dropping him in coverage with Charles Harrison active. And in reality, that, that doesn't serve you well with getting to the quarterback especially given the fact that Nate Solder showed and illustrated it completely on that Sam McGuavin sack, how much he's actively campaigning to be the highest paid backup left tackle in the league. Yeah, no doubt about it. So I'm going to throw it back to you at defensive back. Obviously, not. I mean, other than Eric Rowe, the Dolphins are struggling to find a starter of any sort here, there, uh, you know, Nick Needham comes away with an interception. What do you grade at the defensive back spot? Defensive back's rough. I mean, we already talked about Nate Brooks. Uh, hopefully he can improve a little bit and show something. I, I think Miami has shown that they've got a lot of depth players in that secondary right now, but they're badly missing Xavier Howard. They're badly missing Bobby McCain. And it is a unit that does need a little bit of an upgrade at the top end of it, it this offseason to pair with some of those guys back there. I do like Adrian Colbert as a backup. Jamal Wiltz has finally grown on me. But again, too many penalties in this one. Hopefully we, we see 
Nick Needham get a little more of that savvy and avoid some of these penalties that we've seen out of him the past few weeks down the road. And, and uh, I'm going to go with a C minus here. They did get picked apart a little bit by Eli at times, even though they Miami did come away with a few interceptions. Yeah, I'm going to go with a D for a lot of the reasons that you said there. But um, yeah, it's if if again if we're judging on effort, it, you know, it's probably going to be a B or a B plus. But if we're judging on on ability, I mean, Golden Tate had the long touchdown, and I felt bad for Nick Needham on that play because he he did hit the ball and it pops up and it goes right to Golden Tate, who struts his way to the end zone, acting like an idiot like usual. Uh, and then Sterling Shepard, though, nine catches, 100-plus yards. Some of them were off Nick Needham. Some of them were off Nate Brooks. Some of them off Lyndon Stevens. But either way, like we talked about in the pregame show, the talent is just not there to match up with, you know, with the Dolphins' back seven against Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate and Darius Slayton, who had a touchdown. It's It's just not – it's it's just not comparable, but it, it, I can't wait until the off season when we start to see like Nick Needham settle into a fifth or sixth cornerback role, Jamal Wiltz settle into to a similar type of role, and, and then there's going to be some really good competition at the back end of the roster for these backup safety and cornerback spots. So, uh, Paul, special teams, Jason Sanders. Uh, misses a, an early field goal, then hits a couple of more. Uh, what do you grade the special teams unit? They also had Matt Hawk absolutely uh, completely pin the Giants at their three-inch line, just despite the fact the Giants managed to get out of that one. And, and I thought Hawk did a decent job today. He only averaged 42 yards per punt. He put two of them inside the 20, though. And really, I don't love Trevor Davis returning kicks, but he's okay. I can give the special teams unit a B here, even with that missed field goal. Yeah, I, I with the missed field goal and Sanders hit a couple of more. Overall, probably a net loss on the day for Sanders. Uh, to me, what drags the grade down from a B plus to to a C plus is that sequence where, um, where the Giants uh, punt the ball back. Trevor Davis does not come up and field the punt. It goes back to the five yard line instead of being at the twenty, and. Then there's a holding call by Trent Harris on top of it, goes back to the two. Then there's a safety, which brings the score from 16 to 13, or, or from 14 to 13 to 16 to 13. And then on the next play, uh, on, on the free kick, the Giants return the ball back to the Dolphins' 40. And that sets the table for the Giants going ahead by two scores. So that, that takes it down from an A- minus or a B plus to a C plus for me. Uh, on the day, uh, really just because of that sequence there in the third quarter. So, Paul, throw it back to you one last time. Who is your player of the game and who is your Coke bus player of the game? I'm going to go Coke bus first, and anybody that's been listening to the episode so far is not going to be surprised when I'm throwing Clive Walford on this Coke bus this week. He just does not belong on an NFL roster, and, and he illustrated every reason why throughout the course of this game, especially in the first half. I have no idea why they were trying to run the offense through Clive Wolford at times today, but it just doesn't work. He he does not belong on an NFL roster, and if the coaches and front office can't see that, hopefully some friendly neighborhood officer down in Miami can, can make it happen. 
as far as my player of the game, I'm going to go with Jerome Baker. I'm going to include a play that got wiped out by a, by a silly penalty. I mean, he should have had a sack in this game. He had an interception in this game. He was all over the field making tackles, and he did a good job in coverage today. I, I had no issues whatsoever with Jerome Baker, and I could probably nitpick a little bit here and there across most of the players on this roster today. Jerome Baker's not one of them. It's nice to see him rounded back into form. Yeah, uh, as far as, as my player of the game, you know, I, I had a hard time coming up with anybody, to be quite honest with you. But the, the one that I'm going to give it to is Devontae Parker. I mean, I know that he was pretty silent in between the spot where he had, you know, three catches for 43 yards and a touchdown and the garbage touchdown late. But he just does some things that are incredible there at, at the wide receiver position. I'm glad that he got rewarded. Good for him on that. As far as my Coke bus player of the game, you know, th- this is a time of, of where I- I'm really looking for some players to step up and they're, they're just not doing it. And, and the one that I really point the finger at is, is left tackle Julian Davenport. I mean, I, I thought in the first half he-, he held his own, but in the second half, the guy absolutely could not block anybody. I mean, it, and whether you're lining up at left tackle or at right tackle, if you're just if you're just not able to stay on your feet and, and it's two seconds until the quarterback gets hit because you're not doing your job, it's just not good enough. So that is going to do it for our breakdown of the Miami Dolphins 36 to 20 loss to the New York Giants. You can follow Paul and I on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I am Brian Cat NFL. Paul is fanatic underscore pick on Twitter. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the thin side. So, Ladi, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the thin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the thin side. Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.